Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. Today, as we start this More Than Ever series, I want to begin by asking you a question that I think, at least for me in my life, it has been a really, really powerful question. It's a simple question. What drives your life? What drives your life? Everybody's life, every life is driven by something. So what's driving yours? When I say what drives your life, what I mean by that is, what is the desire that's at the very root of why you do what you do? I'm not talking about when somebody asks you, you know, about this or why you do this or why you value that or why you believe that. You know, you say, well, here's why. I'm not talking about that answer because that's the surface answer. I'm saying when, when you ask why about four times and you get down to the root of what actually is driving it, what's that desire that you have that you want to see fulfilled, that you want to see happen, that actually drives the choices, the commitments you make, the opportunities you take, that drives why you uh, put your money where you put it, why you use your time the way you use it. Another way to think of it is, what is that belief? Sometimes what drives your life is a belief. What is that belief that shapes and drives your behaviors? And it's different for all of us, but what I've found is most of us aren't even aware of what's driving all of our actions. And so you're not necessarily aware of really why you did the things you did last year or why you didn't do the things that you said you wanted to do last year. And if you and I don't get to the root of this question, we'll, we'll never be able to change. So what is it that drives your life? What's that desire? Is it, for some people, it's a desire for ambition? Or maybe it's a desire for applause? Maybe it's a, a belief that you're not worth much? Or maybe it's a belief that somebody said something to you, you know, your parents told you when you were a kid or some, somebody, and you just grabbed hold of that, and it's like, okay, I'll just... You spent your whole life believing you're, you're lazy or you're this or you'll never be this, whatever it is, and you're trying to prove them wrong, so that's really driving it, but you don't realize it. It's, it's invisible. It's under the surface. You, you ignore it most of the time. For some of you, it may be loneliness or pain that's driving your life. It could be, oh my goodness, I just love my family so much and I just want to be safe. I want to be safe, and that drives your life. It could be security. It could be fear. It could be faith. It could be, you know, some image you're wanting to project, and there's a reason, you know, why you want to have that image. I don't know what this looks like for you, but for all of us, every life is driven by something. And let me tell you, this is so important. This is such a powerful thing. You need to understand what that is. You owe it to yourself to figure it out for a couple reasons. One, because what drives you defines you. It does. It always defines you. What I mean by that is whatever is at the root of your life, driving what you do, what you value, what you believe, what you commit to. It is shaping your character. Again, you may not see this. You may not recognize it's happening, but it's shaping your character because it's impacting your values and it's impacting your choices. So it shapes your character. It shapes how you view you. It shapes how you view all the people around you. Not only that, but whatever drives your life, it delivers you. Now, here's what I mean by that. It will deliver you to a very, very predictable destination. If you can figure out what it is that's driving your life, I'm telling you, the minute that you get to the root of it and go, oh, it's that, you will immediately know, huh, if I keep letting that drive my life, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, doesn't matter, 
It's going to lead me, it's going to deliver me to become this kind of person. You'll know. It'll be clear. Because it's so predictable. Once you figure it out, you'll be able to predict the kind of person you're going to be a year from now, five years from now, at the end of your life, the kind of relationships you're going to have in the future, the kind of legacy you're going to leave. I'm telling you, once you get there, and it's hard to get there, and it's hard to figure out the, you know, this root desire, this root belief, but once you know what drives your life, you will see so clearly, oh, it's defining me in these ways. Oh, it's going to deliver me to this destination. It's so predictable. Now, the good news, at least I think it's good news, the good news about this is you get to choose, and I get to choose what drives our lives. We don't have to just accept whatever's going on. That may feel like to you, I don't know what to do with this. This has always been there, and I don't know how to get rid of it. I'm telling you, you can choose what drives your life, and if you don't like what you find, you can exchange it. You can replace it. And you get to figure out what it is. You're, you're completely responsible. I mean, you have full autonomy over this. You get to decide what it is that you want to drive your life. So I think, and this, it's important to do it any time, but especially at the beginning of this year, it's worth it for you to spend a little bit of time reviewing and reflecting on what is it really that drives and motivates everything that I do. Now, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you can figure out what you want to do with that, and you can decide what you want to choose. But... I would just suggest one thing. I would suggest that you should at least consider what Jesus himself invited you to let drive your life. Jesus made it so clear, and you think, ah, oh, this sounds really confusing. I know, I understand that. It's part of the reason Jesus showed up on this earth, because he wanted not just to teach us, but he wanted to show us what it looks like to have our lives driven by the right thing. And so he showed up and he began to invite people to have their lives. He invited people to do an exchange, if you will, so that the motivator, the desire, the belief at the core of their life was what it ought to be so it would define them the way they wanted to be defined. More importantly, it would define them the way God created them to be and it would deliver them to the place and to the kind of life that they most wanted to live. This is what Jesus did. If you're thinking, I don't know that I'll ever understand that and get that, I'm telling you, this is what's so encouraging to me. When you read the stories of Jesus' life, it wasn't like he was talking about this and extending this invitation to people who had everything all figured out. He was talking to some of the most messed up people, some of the people who were furthest off track, some of the people who were driven by the unhealthiest of things, and he would look at them and say, you can make an exchange. You can experience a change and transformation. Why don't you trade what's driving your life now, that unhealthy thing, for the thing that I'm offering? This was, in essence, his message over and over and over again. Now, if you don't believe me, just pay attention to the 12 guys that Jesus invited to be his closest disciples. None of them were road scholars, and none of them were religious professionals. They all had messed things up plenty. As a matter of fact, when you watch their interactions with Jesus over a three-year period, they messed things up as many times as they got them right. I mean, it was a rocky roller coaster kind of ride for them. But Jesus kept looking at them saying, no, 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 there's a, there's a different way and I want to keep inviting you to let your life be driven by something better and something greater than what it currently is now. There's a great example of this in the account of Jesus' life that Luke wrote. It is the account of when Jesus invited one of these guys to first begin to follow him. And I want to read this to you. And the reason I want to read it to you is because it makes a couple of things really clear. This story explains so clearly, as a matter of fact, at the end of it, Jesus spells it out for us. He says, here is what drives my life, and I'm inviting you to let that drive yours. And then he shows us in this story the difference that can happen in your life and mine if we would just 
make the exchange of what's at the center, what's at the core, what's motivating us to do whatever it is that we do. So, I want to jump right into the story. The secret's right there in the story. We're jumping right into the middle of a narrative. There were a lot of things happening, but I think this will make sense to you. I'll show you what it is that drives Jesus' life, and then we'll talk for a few minutes on the end, at the end about how this is practical and relevant for you and me and what to do with it, all right? So, here's how the story goes. Luke says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, you may not be familiar with the name Levi, but Levi had another name, Matthew, and that's what we all know him by today, right? So, this is the same guy. Jesus saw a tax collector by the name of Matthew sitting at his tax booth. Now, I've told you this before, but if you know much about, you know, first century Israel, if you were to make a list of the people who were so messed up in Israel in the first century, or another way to say it is, if you made a list of the most unqualified people to follow Jesus, Matthew's name would have been at the top of the list because that's how they viewed tax collectors. These were guys who stole from their own people, cheated their own people, they'd aligned with Rome, they were traitors, I mean, on and on and on. Nobody had any time for them. So as this group of people is following along with Jesus and they see him stop, and turn towards Matthew at his tax collector booth, they're probably expecting Jesus to give him a good moral lecture. It's one of those moments of, okay, now why don't you, you know, look at Matthew and say, hey, how come you don't have more integrity? Uh, why'd you choose to be a, a liar and a thief for your entire life? Why'd you choose to cheat your own people out of so much? Your mama must be so proud, Matthew. Like, you know, it's like, come on, come on. This is what they all expected, because this is what they did, and this is how they thought. So they were all surprised when instead Jesus looked at Matthew and said two very different words. He looked at him and simply said, follow me, follow me. Now, this carried a lot of weight in their day because this was more than an invitation to hang out. These words were more than an invitation to friendship. These words carried with it the idea of an invitation to mentorship. This was Jesus' way of saying, hey, Matthew, I see you and I see something in you. And I would love, if, love it if you would come spend some time with me because I would like to invest in you. I know what's driving your life now. It's incredibly unhealthy. It's not going to help you be who you want to be, and it's not going to deliver you where you want to go. But if you'd let me invest in you for a little while, maybe this could be different for you. Now, why in the world would Jesus do that? I'll tell you why. Because when he looked at Matthew, and when he looked in the eyes of everyone he interacted with, he didn't just see them for who they are or who they were. He saw them for who they could be. This is so important, and we don't have time to talk about this, but I just want you to know, when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't just see you for who you are. He sees you for who you could be. That is an extraordinary belief that he demonstrates in us. And for those of us who follow him, that means when we look at people, we shouldn't just see them for who they are. We should see them for who they could be. Now, if you had somebody like Jesus look at you and demonstrate that kind of belief in you and say, hey, I want you to follow me. Why don't you give me an opportunity to spend some time investing in you? What would you do? Well, you would do exactly what Matthew did in all probability. Luke tells us that Matthew got up, he left everything, and he followed, or he began to follow him. Now, here's what I love about this. Don't, don't miss this. I don't want you to romanticize this story. If you grew up in church, you know, you know things about Matthew. No, no, no. At this moment... In time, Matthew still has all the same unhealthy things driving his life that he had the day before. Nothing about Matthew has changed except Jesus offered an invitation and Matthew chose to take a step. That's it. Matthew didn't go, oh my gosh, suddenly I believe and I'm changing everything. That, that didn't happen. 
It wasn't an instantaneous transformation. This was Matthew going, I'm still driven by all the things I was driven by yesterday. But this intrigues me. And if it's possible for my life to be driven by something better than what's driving it, I'd like to know how to change. I'd like to know how to experience that. And so he did what so many people have done over the years. He just took a step. Not all the steps. Not total steps. Just a step. He just took a step and said, okay, I'll spend a little time with you. I'll get to know you, and I'll see if there's anything to this. And then this is what I love about this story. We don't know what happens next. There's a gap that Luke doesn't tell us about. But over the next few hours and maybe over the next few days, he spends enough time with Jesus that Matthew becomes convinced of something that really will change anyone's life. He became convinced of the fact that better was now possible for him. He never thought it was better for him. He's a tax collector, and he kind of you know, made his bed, now he has to lie in it. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You can be defined by something very different. You can be driven by something different. You can end up in a very different place in life, Matthew. And now that he knows better is now possible for him, he does something you got to love. He immediately begins to think of all of his other friends who have been like him. They didn't think better was possible. We just, you know, this is the life we've chosen. We can't change now. We're just in it. And Matthew thinks, wait a minute, I don't, I didn't think it was possible. Now I know it's possible. They don't think it's possible. I wish they knew it was possible. And so he starts trying to figure out a way to help them learn the same thing that he has learned and experience the same thing he's experienced. And this is, to me, the best part of the whole story. As Matthew's sitting there thinking, okay, how do I get all of my tax collecting buddies in the same room with Jesus? He realizes the only way to do that is not to invite them to church and it's not to do a Bible study. They're not showing up for that. But Matthew's good at one thing. What he's good at is taking all the money that he has made stealing from people and he's known for throwing parties. This is his deal. And all of his buddies, they'd all get together and they'd just live it up and party. So he thinks, okay, what if I take all of this money that I stole from all these people and I throw another party and I invite all my friends? They'll come. There's no doubt. I'm known for that. They'll come. That's been proven. And then what if I could convince Jesus to come to the party and then at the party, maybe they would experience what I've experienced. And so that is exactly what he does. Luke tells us that Matthew held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd, this was not some small gathering, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, just imagine this in your mind. God rubbing shoulders at a party with the most ungodlike people in the entire country. And they're all right there together. Can you imagine the tension that that must have created for some people in that community? To say, wait a minute, Jesus, you're, what, yeah, we would have, some of us would have felt the same tension, wouldn't we? It would have been like, well, you can't go there and do that, Jesus. That's, isn't that basically condoning how they live and what they do? And you're hanging out, you shouldn't hang out. And, you know, all this stuff that people say, you're approving. You know, all, the, all these excuses people make and all these judgments that people make. Jesus was like, no, 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 I don't care about any of that. And he went. We know it created tension, though, because here's what Matthew tells us, or Luke tells us happened next. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to Jesus' disciples, they were, you know, not brave enough to go complain to Jesus, but they found some of his other followers and pulled them aside as his party's going on. And they say, why do you eat with tax collectors and with sinners? I mean, this is their way of saying, you shouldn't be there. Y'all shouldn't be hanging out. Jesus shouldn't be in the middle of all those people. And Jesus overhears this conversation. This is what I love about it. He overhears this conversation, and so he steps aside from, you know, whoever he's hanging out with, and he walks over to these religious folks. 
And he explains to them exactly what drives his life and what should drive ours. Here's how he explains it. He says, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He looks at them and goes, Whoa, wait a minute, guys. Isn't this true? Healthy people, they don't need doctors. Right, right, right. Yeah, sick people need doctors. Well, of course, right? And a doctor who's only interested in seeing healthy people isn't really very helpful, are they? Well, no, they're not very helpful. As a matter of fact, what motivates a doctor? What drives a doctor? What drives someone to go through medical school, to, you know, to, to go through all the classes, to go through all the training, to you know, have to spend all the money? What motivates somebody to go through all that to become a doctor? Well, the primary motivation for someone who wants to be a doctor is not, oh, I just can't wait to hang out with healthy people and cheer them on as they're healthy. No, the, the reason somebody wants to be a doctor is they want to help somebody who's unhealthy become healthy. That's what they're passionate about. So Jesus mentioned this, and he, he, you know, all the religious people are having to shake their heads going, well, yeah, of course, that's common sense. He says, okay, well, then I, I don't understand why you don't get me. And here's how he describes what drives his life. He says, I have not come to call the righteous. I haven't come to call the healthy. I haven't come to call people who feel like they're in a right standing with God. They don't think they need me. I've come to call, and this is his phrase, sinners to repentance. In other words, this is Jesus' way of saying, you want to know why I'm here? I'm here because every life is driven by something. And for most of you, your life is driven by something unhealthy, and you don't even know it. And you don't think it's possible to change once you figure it out. So I'm here to show you you can change. I'm here to show you there is something better and healthier that can drive your life. I'm here to show you that change is possible. I'm here to introduce you to the goodness and the grace and the love and the purpose of your Heavenly Father. And I'm here to help you understand what it looks like to have your life driven not by how you see you, your parents saw you, the people around you saw you. No, no, no. I'm here to help you understand what it looks like to live a life driven by how God views you. And then to live a life driven and motivated by fulfilling the divinely and uniquely crafted purpose and plan that God has for you. This is what Jesus invited people to all the time. Will you choose to believe what God says about you? And will you choose to live out the purpose and the plan that he has uniquely for you? And Jesus' invitation was simply this. If you will let that drive your life, yeah, you got to pay your bills, you got to work, and you got, you know, kids and sports and school, and you got all these things going on, like you're running. But in the middle of all of that, if you will just let something different drive your life, if you will do all that driven by God's purpose for you and God's view of you, it will change everything about your life. It will define you and help you be who God created you to be. It will deliver you to the destination, to the kind of legacy, to the kind of life, to the kind of relationships that you most want to experience. This was Jesus' invitation to people over and over and over again. So we would look at him and say, if you're willing, if you're interested in exchanging what's driving your life for something better and something greater, then take a step and follow. Take a step and follow. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't even have to know what it's going to look like in the end. Just take a step and let's start figuring it out together. This is what this word repentance means. It just means take a step. That's it. It just means to take a step. It changed direction. That's all it means. It's not really a religious term. He's going, you're being driven this way. Why don't you just change direction and take a step this way? So that's what Matthew did. That's what Matthew wanted for his friends. 
and it began to change everything for them. Now, I'll come back to that in just a minute. But this can feel so confusing to us, can it? Oh, God's got a purpose for me. Well, how do I know what that is? I don't know. I can't figure it out. It's just too confusing. You say God views me a certain way and has a plan for me. I'm not sure because I've messed up and I don't feel qualified. And if you knew about and my story has, you know, all of this stuff. So listen, I, I just want to simplify it as much as I can simplify it. What I want to do is I want to give you one habit that I want to invite you to practice for the next month, just a month. I hope you'll do it all year, but let's just start with a month, okay? One simple habit that you'll practice every day for a month. And the reason I picked this habit is because I have found with me that when I practice this habit, it begins to change everything else. When I practice this habit, all the other stuff starts to fall into place. So whether you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to to try this for a month. I'll tell you why in just a second. But here's the habit. It's simply this. Would you pray and invite? Would you pray and invite? Now, here's why I mentioned this. Because Jesus said you are where you are for a reason. This is what he taught. That God has placed you where he has placed you for a purpose. You may not feel like there's a reason. You may not know the purpose. But it's not accidental. God has placed people in your life. And he wants to use you specifically to help those people experience what God wants them to experience in their lives. But you have to pay attention and notice what he's doing around you, and you have to be aware of those people that he's put in your life. So what if, for the next month, what if you began to ask God to show you the people he's put in your life that he wants you to help, and you just start praying for them? And then if the opportunity arose, and you're sitting over coffee, and they start talking about some things relevant to this, you just invite them to tell you more about how they feel about God, what they're struggling with, you know, where they're having a hard time understanding what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe you just, when the opportunity arises, you invite them, hey, you ought to come to church and check it out. But what if you just said, okay, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, and then if I get a chance, I'm going to invite in some way. Now, here's why I picked this habit. Because when I do this consistently... You know what happens? I begin to view my day and I begin to view my life and I begin to view my world and what's going on around me differently. I begin to notice things that are happening around me that I think that might be God at work there. And I don't think God's not working there beforehand. I, ne- I just never noticed it because I wasn't looking. But suddenly I'm praying about, about it and I'm praying for these people and now I'm noticing things that I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. And then I'm trying to figure out, well, God, how do you want to use me to help them? How do you want to use me to help them understand your grace or understand the purpose you have for them or understand that, you know, a relationship with you is possible, whatever that looks like. But I'm telling you, if you will make this a habit, God will suddenly become so much more personal to you because you will notice the things he's doing in and around you that you never noticed before. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I know this is weird, you ought to do this for a month. You got nothing to lose. You ought to do this for a month. Because if you want to know if God is real and he's personal, this is one of the best ways to do it. You start praying, and then you'll start paying attention. Now, I get it's hard to understand, and you're going, I don't work at a church, and I wouldn't train for this. No, 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 no. It's not that complicated. I'm going to simplify all of this for you, okay? How do you know when God is at work around you in some way? Well, I want you to pay attention to three things. This is really simple. I want you to pay attention to three things, okay? I want you to pay attention to these phrases, not in church, not prepared for, and not going well. Not in church, not prepared for, and not going well. So, 
Whenever you're talking to somebody and they go, yeah, we're not in church and we hadn't been in church for a long time, or hey, we had this bad experience, so we just kind of gave up or quit for a while, or, you know, we moved here, but we hadn't been able to find a church. Anytime you hear that, you should pause and go, oh, that's a cue. There may be something God wants to use me to do here. Or when you hear somebody say, and this happens a lot, I just don't feel prepared for. I'm not, we're about to have our first kid, or we just have our first kid, and some of you remember this. It's like, I am not prepared. What do I do? This living, breathing human being is now in my house. I don't know what to do with this. She's not even as cute as baby Yoda. I don't know what to do with this. Like, what, you know, you got, you got one of those moments, and you go, I'm not prepared. Or you start a new job, and you just feel like, I'm so not prepared. Or you got a kid that... You know, they say, I got a kid that's going into middle school or high school or just got their driver's license. I'm so not prepared. I'm starting college. I'm so not prepared. Whatever it is. Whenever you hear that, that should be a cue for you. Oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. Maybe there's something God wants me to do here. Or the last one is, well, things just, they're just not going well. My marriage was struggling. It's not going well. I got this issue with my kid, and I can't figure out what to do, and it's just not going well. I, my finances just not going well. You know, the job is just not, whatever it is, boss, you know, what, whatever. It's just not going well. Anytime you hear somebody say one of these, you should immediately pay attention because that is a cue that God is probably doing something in their life and he would like to use you in some way to help them. And there are a lot of things you could do to help, but I want to simplify it because we all freeze up. It's like, oh my gosh, well, what do I say? I don't know what to say. I'm going to tell you exactly what to say, okay? We're going to make this simple. Whenever you hear somebody say this, you just look at them and go, why don't you come to church and sit with me? This is it. Now, here's what this looks like. It's not awkward. Here's what it looks like. We just haven't been able to find a church, and you go, I'm so sorry. We had a bad experience at church. I am so sorry to hear that. That's just awful. Why don't you come to church and sit with me? Why don't you just try? I think you might find it helpful. That's it. It's a personal invitation. Or, I just don't feel prepared, and we don't know. You look at them and say, oh my gosh, I get that. I have been there. Why don't you come to church and sit with me? I think you'd hear some things at our church that might help you feel a little more prepared. Things just aren't going well, and I don't know what to do, and we've tried, and we try. Okay, I, oh, I'm so sorry. That's so hard. Why don't you come to church and sit with me? I think you might hear some things that would give you a good idea of a new way to approach your problem. That's all you have to do. Why don't you come to church and sit with me? Not, hey, you should come to my church sometime. I mean, that's fine, but that's not personal. That's not specific. Why don't you just look at them and say, hey, why don't you come to church and sit with me? You'd be amazed at how many of them say yes. The vast majority of them will say yes. But even if they don't, that's okay, because your part's just a, I'm trying to partner with God, right? I'm trying to cooperate. God, I'm going to let you use me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then I'm going to invite, and then I'm going to leave the rest to you. You will be amazed at what happens and how often you see God at work in you and around you when you begin to do this. The other thing that will happen to you that's incredible, not only will God become more personal to you if you do this, but as you begin to see some of these people and pray for them, it will change you. And the reason it will change you, you're probably nicer than me, so better than me, so this may not happen to you. But for me, I'll be praying for people, and then I'll you know, have one of those moments where I'm a jerk or I say the wrong thing or I you know, do something I shouldn't have done or you know, I lose my cool, whatever. And then I realized before it was just like, oh, whatever, you know. Now, now it's, oh, my gosh, I've been praying for these people, and now what if they saw and they know and what? And I'm like, i got to go apologize. I gotta. So it will, it will change what you do and how you respond when you mess up. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. But it will change how you respond when you mess up because you'll be so much more sensitive to the fact that God's working in their life and he's trying to use me. I don't want to mess this up. I already messed up. That happens. I just want to go straighten it out. I just want to respond in the right way now. 
And suddenly, you'll begin to see God do things in you, and you'll see God do things through you. So here's, what I, here's how I want to make this personal for you, okay? When you came in today, you should have gotten a card that looks like this, and it says, before you're four, okay, before you're four. Here's what I would love for you to do. Take this card home, ask God, and you, the, these names and faces may have already come to your mind, but if not, say, God, who are the people you have put in my life that you might want to use me to help them? come to know you a little better. And I guarantee you, if you pray that, God will show you some people. So write down four names, okay? And then for the next month, just put this somewhere where you'll see it. And every day pray for those people. Even if you're not a Christian, it's fine. It doesn't hurt to pray for somebody, right? So every day, just pray for those people. And maybe pray, hey, God, would, would you help me to know how I can help them today or this week or this month? And just every day, I say every day, none of us are going to be perfect at that, right? But put it somewhere where most days you see it, and you pause for a couple minutes, and you pray for those four people. I'm telling you. You will be amazed at what happens, and you're going to end up with opportunities where you hear them say, well, I'm not in church, or I'm not prepared for, or it's not going well. And you'll go, oh, there it is. There it is. Well, why don't you come to church and sit with me? And then you'll get to watch what God does through that over the course of the next month and probably over the course of the next year. Now, if you're sitting there going, uh, I can't do that, and I can't do that because I don't know enough, and I can't do that because in my story, and I'm unqualified, and I've messed up, and people wouldn't listen. you got all these different things. Okay, listen, before we wrap up, two things I want to tell you real quick, all right? I don't want you to miss these two. Matthew, Matthew, he was no different than you. I could argue he was probably worse than you. But God used him anyway, right? He did. You know what Matthew did? Matthew decided, I am going to let this drive my life. And he didn't do it perfectly at first. He still had all these unhealthy things driving his life. But over time, he learned how to exchange what the unhealthy things were for what drove Jesus' life. He began to exchange it for how God viewed him and the purpose God had for him. And up for three years, it was, I got it right, and then I messed it up. And I got it right, and I messed it up, and I messed it up, and I messed it up, and now I got it right. You know, it was back and forth. And then Jesus' death happened. And then the resurrection happened, and that changed everything. And you know what Matthew did? Matthew took his flawed, unqualified self, and he spent the rest of his life telling people what had happened, what Jesus had done, what he had seen and heard with his own eyes and ears, and the story of the change that had happened in him because of it. And most historians, this is pretty amazing, most historians believe Matthew was the first person to ever take this message of Jesus to three different countries. Three countries. The countries of Iran, Syria, Ethiopia. That's unreal. How would you like to have that on your resume? Yeah, I just took it to three countries. They'd never heard. I mean... Now think about it for a minute. How many times do you think Matthew had somebody look at him? Who knew him? Who knew his story? How many times do you think he had somebody look at him and go, You? Are you kidding me? You're not qualified to do that. You're a thieving, lying, cheating tax collector. Are you kidding me? We know what you did. We know how you got all your money. We know, we know, we know. Matthew didn't let that deter him. As a matter of fact, the very thing that most people thought disqualified Matthew is the thing God ended up using 
in Matthew's life to help people come to know God. The reason I bring that up is because there are two things I do not want you to miss from Matthew's story. The first one is this. You are perfectly unqualified to follow Jesus. Congratulations. You are perfectly unqualified, and this is a great thing. It is. If you're sitting there going, nope, I don't know enough. Oh my gosh, no, God couldn't use me because you don't know my story. I messed up, I messed up, I got this thing, I'm sinned, and whatever term you use. No, no, you're perfectly unqualified to follow Jesus because messing up and being a sinner is a prerequisite. It is a requirement to follow Jesus. If you think you're perfect, you have no need for Jesus. Only people who recognize they're unhealthy, they're sinners, they're in need of help, those are the people who are perfectly unqualified to follow Jesus. So any of that stuff you think stands in your way, Jesus took care of all of that on the cross. doesn't stand in your way anymore. Not only that, but here's the other thing you need to know. You are perfectly unqualified to help somebody else follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, listen, don't miss this. That thing, whatever that thing is for you, that you feel like disqualifies you, that may be the very thing God uses to help people come to know him. It was the thing that everyone thought disqualified Matthew. His experience in history as a tax collector that God ended up using. It was the very money that Matthew had stolen from people that he used to throw the party so that Matthew's friends could meet Jesus and begin to experience something better for themselves. And it was that story and that experience that Matthew told over and over. Let me tell you what I was like, and then let me tell you what Jesus invited me to do. And I eventually figured out this exchange, and look at what happened, and it can happen to you. So I'm telling you, I don't care what your deal is. You are perfectly unqualified to help somebody else follow Jesus, and that is a great thing. God may use that very thing in your life. But you have to be willing. We're not going to get it perfect. It's a journey. It's going to take a while. But you have to be willing to do what Matthew did. I don't know everything. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. But I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take a step. Because this is driving my life this way. And I don't want to end up there. So I'm going to take a step. In a different direction. And I'm going to see what happens. If I begin to live my life driven by who God says I am. And the purpose he created me for. And the way you do that, the first step is just pray and invite. Think of four people, start praying for them. And when the opportunity comes and you're going to see it, you're going to start noticing God at work around you, then extend an invitation and say, why don't you just come to church and sit with me and watch what God does. And you know why I'm so convinced this is true? Let me explain this and we'll wrap up. But I'm convinced this is true. I know this works. I know this happens. Because I've watched it here for years now. Guess how many people we know have walked into our services over the last four years for the very first time. There are a lot of people who don't tell us it's their first time. You want to stay anonymous. I get that. That's fine. But guess how many people have walked in for the first time and let us know they were here? In four years, we know there have been 1,448 people walk in our doors for the first time. Do you know why they walked in our doors? The same reason most of you did, because somebody invited them, and somebody invited you. And one invitation can change everything, can it? You're going to see this so clearly in such an inspiring way when you hear David's story next week. 
One invitation can change everything. But here's what I know. If you want to know what drives me, if you want to know what drives our church, here it is. I'm just like you. I've got friends like you do who aren't here, and they're not anywhere when it comes to faith. And for all the people who've walked in our doors over the last four years, there are literally thousands and thousands in our communities who haven't. They're your friends and they're mine. And you know what? If you've been a Christian for a long time, you may have lost sight of this, but I want you to pause and think about it for a minute. These are good people. You know that. I know that. They're great people. But they're people who are living life and facing all the challenges and struggles and stress of life without the confidence of knowing they have a Father in heaven who loves them and is with them and will guide them through it. Now imagine that. Imagine dealing with everything life throws your way and not having the confidence to be able to turn and know that God was there to give you the strength and the wisdom and the help to get through it. That's how they're living their lives. They're good people, but they're struggling with their marriage and they don't know where to turn. They're good people, but they can't figure out what to do with this kid and the parenting challenges and they don't know where to turn. They're good people and they've got everything they ever dreamt of having. And they still have no meaning, and it drives them nuts on the inside. And they don't want to say anything to anybody because it it looks so ungrateful. I mean, they've got everything everybody would ever want, but they're empty on the inside. They didn't deliver what they thought it was going to, and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do next. They don't know where to find that sense of fulfillment and significance. They're good people, but they're struggling with addictions, and they don't know where to turn to break free. They keep trying everything they know to try, and nothing works. They're good people. They just don't have a confidence that there's a Father in heaven who sees them differently than they see themselves and who created them with a divine and uniquely crafted purpose and plan. And listen, here's my deal. I don't know if they want that or not, and that's not really my problem. They can choose whatever they choose, and they'll be my friends either way. But you know what I do feel like? I do feel like they at least deserve to know it's an option. They at least deserve to know, hey, there's a Father in heaven who does love you that much and he really is for you and here's what he's done for you and here's the life he's inviting you into. Now you decide if you want that or not and that's between you and God. But they deserve to know. And most of them, they don't know. And the only way they will know is if you pray and you pray and you pray and then you invite and invite and invite. And if I do the same. God has placed you and he's placed me in their lives for a purpose and a reason. But we've got to cooperate with what he's trying to do. He's just trying to help them know he's there for them. But we have to be willing to do our part. So, will you pray and will you invite? Will you pray and will you invite? God will become more personal to you. It'll begin to change you. But you will be blown away by what God does, not just in you, but through you as a result. Now, let me say this and we'll wrap up. For those of you who call this your church, it's like, you know, you love this place or this is your church. You know, somebody asks you, yeah, I'm a journey. Okay, listen to me for just a minute. I feel like, and you've got jobs. You don't think about this. You're not supposed to think about this. So just trust me on this, okay? But I am convinced that we are at one of those moments as a church and crossroads at a church where the future for us, the next opportunity for us, the next wave for us, It is the greatest opportunity we have ever had. This next 12 to 18 months will be the greatest opportunity we have ever had as a church to impact and influence and serve people in our community. 
We're going to be able, potentially, to serve and love and impact and influence more people in our communities than ever before in these next 18 months. To the point that I think it will blow away anything that we have seen up to this point. But here's what I know. Yesterday's commitments will not make tomorrow's opportunities come true. And what I mean by that is just this. The things that we did yesterday, the commitments we made got us to where we are today. The engagement, the I'm going to jump in and serve, I'm going to help, I'm going to get, all that stuff got us to where we are today. But we can't live off of that to get where we're, God's trying to take us tomorrow. The only way we will be able to experience the opportunities God's putting in front of us, and I think they're unprecedented, but the only way we're going to be able to experience it is with new commitments and new engagement. It's with all of us, including those of you who come and you enjoy it and you sit and then you, can't, you, know, you leave and it's like, oh, that was nice. No, no, no. It's going to take all of us doing a lot more than that. It's going to take you and me being willing to go, you know what, I'll give some of my time to serve all these people who are going to come in our doors so they have a great experience. I'm going to give consistently because it's consistent giving that changes lives over time. I'm going to connect with people and build relationships and really make this my place. And I'm going to pray and invite and pray and invite and pray and invite. It will take new engagement and new commitments to experience the new opportunities. And here's all I would say to you. I don't ever want us to take for granted the fact that God is putting these opportunities in front of us. It has been so normal around here for 14 years now that it is really easy to be like, oh yeah, I can't, yep, they showed up, yep, wow, look at what happened in their life, and yep, look at that, and, look at, and you see all of these, this life change happening, and it just, just becomes normal, it's almost expected. Listen, this is not normal, it's just not. I wish it was in every church, there are a lot of great churches, but it's not normal in most of the churches. And if you don't believe me, take next week and just pick a church, any church in our community, and go visit it, I don't care, just go pick one, you'll go, oh, that's not normal, it's not normal, they're not, they're not seeing what we're seeing, it's not normal. Now the reason I say that, we're not better than anybody else. For whatever reason, God has just said, you know what? I'm going to give you this opportunity, and we have a responsibility to steward it well. And the minute we stop stewarding it well is the minute God will remove the opportunity from us. So I want to invite you, if you're a part of our church, to make this year more about being a spectator. Don't be a consumer. Don't just show up and leave and, ah, oh, that was good, and I was inspired. No, no, no. Come help us do what God is calling us to do. So we can go where he's trying to take us as a church and impact the lives he wants us to impact. We need you now more than ever. Because what God is offering and providing for us is greater than ever before. Let me pray for us. Father, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do with this? We're so grateful. Uh, we, we don't want to take it for granted. We're so grateful for the opportunity you placed in front of us. Not just for everything you have done, but what you're going to do and where you're taking us. But help us to be willing to follow you and to take a step. And I don't know what that looks like for all of us here. But if we'll just do what Matthew did and take a step, then you'll meet us there and you'll do the rest. So whatever that step is, help us to take it. Would you bring to mind the names, the faces of some people you place in our lives and maybe we're not even aware of it? but some names and faces of people that we need to write their names on those cards and just pray for them for the next month. And when the opportunity comes, just give a simple invitation. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. 
If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.